This week on the In-Depth Podcast, Jason Tatum, the Boston Celtics forward, just began his sixth year in the NBA and is coming off a season in which he led the Celtics to the NBA Finals. The St. Louis native has a fascinating story, one molded by tough love every step of the way, whether it was from his father. I was scared of him, and he would, like, grab me by my shirt and pin me up against the wall. Or his college coach, Mike Krzyzewski. He's like, you soft-ass St. Louis kid. He was like, I should have left you in St. Louis if you was going to play like this. You should have never came to Duke. Tatum also reflects on the challenges he faced growing up. I walked up and she just started bawling. And I seen that we, you know, we had 30 days to get out. And why he initially tried to hide his son Deuce's arrival. I was selfish at first. Plus, Kobe Bryant's impact. An embarrassing Michael Jordan story. And along the way, you'll also hear Tatum's mother, Brandy, chime in on several topics. Oh, he told everything, didn't he? But we begin with Tatum discussing his early NBA dreams. I believe you're a first grader at the time. The teacher asks you what you want to be when you grow up. What did you say and how did your mom end up needing to get involved? <laughs> yeah, um, because I went to a private school in Clayton um, and it was a predominantly white school, you know, it was, I was, might have been the only black kid, there was only two of us. So there was always the intimidation factor because I went to school with kids that had two-parent households and, um, you know, lived in much bigger houses. I remember his first time he had to bring a family picture and he didn't want to bring, he didn't want anyone to know that he it, he'd come from a single-parent home. Um, Why? I don't know. He just, he because he, he was the only kid in the class. And um, so I just called his dad and I was like, we gotta go take a picture so that he can have a picture with all three of us in it. So, cause that's what he wants for this project. So, you know, we just made it work. And it was things like their moms would always be there volunteering during school or during lunch. And that didn't make sense to me. Cause I'm like, my mom worked nine to five Monday through Friday. And then being in a classroom where kids wanted to be doctors or um, lawyers, because that's what they saw growing up. Their parents were doctors and lawyers or, or nurses or pilots. And then I said, I want to be an NBA player. I want to be the best player in the world. And she said, you know, you need to be more realistic. You know, that's probably not going to happen. And I remember everybody laughing. And that was like one of the lowest points because I always I already felt, you know, intimidated going to school. I stood out. It's like I kind of didn't belong. Um, and then for her to say that and everybody to kind of laugh, uh, you know, that really, that really, it crushed me. And, you know, as an eight, nine-year-old kid, um, you know, I cried. And I never really cried. I'm not an emotional person. You know, I remember my mom wiping my face and telling me that. Uh, she, she told me, she was like, remember this. Remember this moment. You know, never let anybody tell you what you can or can't do. She was like, as long as you have me and grandma, you know, that believe in you, you can do anything you want. What did you say to the I teacher? I told her, don't you ever tell my child that he can't do something, don't embarrass him, don't, you know, shoot down his ideas. Like, you're, you know, and I told her, your job is to encourage these kids and to, you know, help them grow and to plant seeds and, and you know, to, to teach them they can be anything. And I told her, don't tell him that when I'm at home telling him he could be the president if he wanted to be. Brandy seems like a tough lady. I, I can imagine uh, that teacher thought twice moving forward if it meant uh, getting a piece of her mind? Oh yeah, anybody that messed with my mama baby, which is me, you know, from 
when I was two to 24 now, you know, she gonna let them have it. And you know, and she let that teacher have it. There's probably a lot of people that didn't believe I could be here. And that, you know, I just needed that person to say it um, and use that as motivation. Take me through these impromptu press conferences your mom would have with you while you were, I think, playing video games. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would be playing video games or watching Kobe play or whoever on TV. I would just be sitting there like this and my mom would grab a remote and she'd be like, come on, you need to practice. Like, what are you gonna do when they say, you know, you had a double-double, you guys came back, how does it feel? How did you, you know, how did your teammates play? And at the time I'd be like, Ma, like nobody gonna ask me that. And she'd be like, yes they are, like you gonna be who you wanna be on TV. She like, and if you wanna be the best player, they always ask the best player questions after the game, win or lose. But just little things like that had me thinking like, wow, my mom really believes that I'm gonna be that person on TV. What did your morning routine entail growing up as it pertained to practice and when you were waking up? Yeah, um, so when I turned 16, I had a car and uh, that's when I started my waking up at 5.45, 5.30, coming to the gym at 6.15. I love walking into an empty gym and being the first person to turn the lights on. Like that, that feeling um, is hard to describe because this is like, you know, this is my life. This is always, this is what I've always wanted to do. And I couldn't imagine doing anything else. That's when I knew he was gonna make it because I didn't have to wake him up. I'm not a morning person. You know, I'd, I'd joke with him and I'm like, listen, God didn't raise the sun yet, then clearly he don't want me up. I don't, I'm not getting up when it's still dark outside. I didn't have to push him. That was something he wanted to do. Well, there was always this idea that somebody was working harder than me. Or when I wasn't working out, somebody else was. Somebody in New York, somebody in LA. There was a handful of times I overslept. And those are like the worst days of my high school career of the sense of like, I just felt terrible all day. My opportunity of my dream may have slipped away. And you know, I think that level of fear really helped me get to this point. You said once there have been times where I questioned, am I the right person to kind of lead a group like this? Explain that. Yeah, um, and that was at the beginning of this year, I kind of felt that way. Why? I was 23, playing for the biggest franchise in the NBA with the expectations of being the best player, being the best leader, being the best teammate, and being a guy that can take a team to a championship. The doubt came from, you know, you work so hard to get to this point, and you work so hard to be the best player you can be. And everybody's been there where it's like, it's just not going how you thought it would go. And that can be a little discouraging sometimes because everything that I have, I'm giving it to this game and my team. And we were like four games under 500 and it was just like the toughest start to a season that I've had. And you know, I think part of our profession is like being honest and being candid of like, you know, there are times where I doubt myself in those moments. It's not long. Um, and the doubts are what? You know, you think about, can I be the best player on a championship team? Because um, not many guys can. And, you know, it's only the best of the best of the best. Um, but that, that's what I aspire to be. Um, and there were moments after games where I was like, this is just not working. But I think I've always stayed with it. I'm human. You know, I have those raw emotions of 
of thoughts and things that go to my head. I read somewhere that you, you have the tendency to like suffer in silence. Um, any truth to that? I'm, I'm big on like figuring it out, right? In my mind, it's like, what's the point of me throwing my problems on other people? Yeah. Everybody has their own problems, right? And I, you know, growing up, my idea of being a man was figuring it out, right? You know, nobody's gonna feel bad for you. Know, everybody's gonna help you out. You have to have the mindset of like, I need to figure this out. I need to get it done. And, and that's how like my mindset Right or wrong, that's just how I thought. Explain the texts that your mom will send you sometimes during NBA games. Not so much this past year, because I told her, like, I don't look at my phone at halftime anymore. Because there were times my first three, four years in the league where I might not be as aggressive as I should be, or I got seven points at halftime. And she watches every game, never misses a game. Um, especially on the road. She'll send me these long messages. You need to do this, you, you, you're not doing this. If, if this is how you're gonna play, me and Deuce will watch something else, we'll watch a movie. If you're not gonna play, I can go home. Deuce can go to bed. <laughs> it's late, like, you know, if you're not gonna, you know, give a good effort, but it was all meant to just light a little fire up under and motivate them. And then at the end of the game, I have 40, and I'm like, mine, it's two halves to every game. You know, you just gotta relax. She was like, well, if you play like this in the first half, you could have scored 80. I'm like, my, <laughs> that's not how it works. It's kind of what Coach K would do yeah, as well, right? Yeah, he better when he's mad. Well, and why is that? I have no idea, <laughs> but it's always been that way. Why somebody gotta piss you off to get this out of you, but it's all a part of the, you know, maturation. So your mom had just graduated high school. Uh, her and your dad had uh, uh, broken up only for her to realize that she was pregnant. Explain the sacrifices that she made just in terms of opportunities given up to always be there for you. I didn't see it, but my mom was a star volleyball player. She could have went to MIT. She is extremely smart. Most people growing up in St. Louis, you know, you, you, you aspire to, to grow up and, and venture out, right? And, and she ended up having to make some tough decisions. And knowing that having a child would, um, you know, directly impact her life. I actually had wanted to graduate a year early. Everyone had all these high expectations um, for what I was going to do and where I was going to go. I mean, I was class president, top of my class academically. I was embarrassed. I felt like everyone was going to feel like I was a failure and was going to end up a statistic. And the fact that so many people thought I wasn't going to make it and wasn't going to be able to do those other things, that was just fuel to the fire. She was a kid when she had me. So she was a kid raising a kid. And going through those tough times, those struggles, you know, made us closer. You know, seeing my mom come back home, being exhausted and having to make sure I had something to eat, getting me ready for school. Um, and, you know, the water being cut off, the lights being cut off, almost being evicted. Um, just seeing how much of a toll that took on her but knowing how hard that she worked to make ends meet and make sure that I had everything that I, I needed. You know, still graduating college, getting her master's, her doctorate, her law degree. It's incredible to think that she did all of that, you know, while living, you know, check to check. And you would go to class with her often, right? I would go to class with my mom all the time. Undergrad was better. Okay. Law school was a little boring for me. I remember like grabbing McDonald's and 
a coloring book or something and, you know, having to be quiet for two hours, you know, so she could, you know, sit there and listen. He hated it. And the older he oh, got, he? he, oh God, he would come home and he would tell me all the time, I got to go to the league because I don't want to do this. I don't want to read these books. I don't want to go do, I don't want to do this like you. And I'd be like, well, you better figure it out. I knew from early age that I needed to make it out because I needed to take care of my family. I needed to take care of my mom and my grandma. So at 11 years old, I knew that I was going to do everything in my power to make it to where I am because I didn't want my, my family to struggle anymore. Your mom remembers a story about you bringing in uh, your piggy bank to help yeah. with bills one day. <laughs> I did. And it was $11 or something and change. I wanted to help so bad because I knew more than anybody what we were going through because I saw it. I lived it every day. Um, and I think that, that motivated me as well. What did your mom do? for heat or warm water, for baths or light in the evenings? In the times that we didn't have heat, she would, we would have to open the, the um, oven. The house was real small, but it would, it would help put a little heat in the house. And I didn't have a bed for a while, um, but it was so cold in the house that you know, we would sleep together um, with the blankets and stuff. What do you remember when the house was foreclosed? I remember getting groceries out the car and walking up. My mom went up first and I remember she dropped the she dropped the groceries and I was like, Mom, what's wrong? And I walked up and she just started bawling. And I seen that we, you know, we had 30 days to get out. And that was another one of those days growing up where it was just like, damn. And you guys got through that. How? Man, rest in peace to her friend. Melanie was a friend that she went to law school with, but she stopped by the house one day and um, she brought over a $10,000 check. She was saying that, you know, God had spoke to her and said that, you know, she just felt like that we needed it. <laughs> oh, he told everything, didn't he? Um, she said at that time she had decided she didn't want to give it to the church. She wanted to, like, help people that she knew or whatever. She gave it to me. I was in disbelief. And that's, we got to keep our house. That was the one time that I thought I'm not going to be able to fix it this time. That was like one of the wildest days ever because my mom didn't tell her and she just brought over that check and you know we got kind of back on our feet um it bought us some time and you know we got to stay in the house how well do you remember uh your grandma holding the grocery bag for you at her house in U city i remember that vividly my grandma kind of like helped raise me if i wasn't with my mom i was with my grandma but she would always sit in the in the uh, like a chair like this with a a Schnooks, Schnooks grocery bag. And I would always be like, Grandma, you know, can, can you hold the bag so I can shoot? Cause we didn't have a basketball hoop or anything. And I would wait till my mom got off work and that could be two, three hours. And I would literally sit there and looking back on it, sometimes like I was throwing the ball all the way to the left or right, but she would always move it so I could make it. Um, and every time I made it, she would tell me how good I was and how proud of me she was. And if I wasn't in the NBA, she would support me, you know, in the same way. The love and support of, you know, your family can carry you to, you know, wherever you want to go. In the back of my mind, I always knew I had those two help and support and that I could do anything um, in the world that I wanted to. Your mom today plays what role in your business? My mom is like the overseer, right? Everything goes through her. Um, a good overseer too. The best, because it's like, there's nobody more trustworthy 
than my mom. She is over everything that has to do with Jason Tatum. It's not efficient for seven different people to be trying to get in contact with Jason. So that all goes through me and then, then I call him. I mean, I see him every day. He spends most of the time in my house. So then I let him know, look, I need 45 minutes, you know, and he has to come in and then I just knock everything out. And the pros and cons of that are what? The cons are, you know, sometimes I go take trips with my friends and <laughs> it's only probably once, maybe twice a year, but we'll go out LA, Vegas, or Miami, and uh, you know, she'll call me in the morning. She'll be like, "Who is Mr. Jones?" She's like, "And why did they? Why did you give him twelve thousand dollars?" I'm like, "Ma, we had a good time last night." She's like, oh, "I'm just making sure this was you, and you know, somebody didn't take your card." Jason likes nice things. <laughs> he likes nice watches. Technically, I can't say no, right? But. Um, I'm the one that processes all the wires and gets receipts and then ensures everything and stuff like that. So he's always coming. I can tell on his face when he walks in my office that there's about to be a wire. Oh, really? It's just this expression on his face and I know exactly what it means that he, it, that he I need to send someone some money. He's already picked something out. And when he tells me sometime the price, I'm like, what does this watch do? And he's like, but it's not the Celtic money. And that's his little running joke. <laughs> So we had a, we had a deal uh, before I got drafted that I couldn't spend the money I make from the Celtics, that we had to live off endorsements. And her and my accountant agreed. They didn't know that I would make, you know, as much as I did off the court. Um, so in my mind, you know, I got to spend that money. All that money, <laughs> it got to go. I got to enjoy it. You yeah. know, at first it was, you know, we would have certain talks, but, um, you know, it's, it's in moderation now. I'm always going to be his mom, but he's still a grown man, you know, and my job is to give him as much information as possible so he can make informed decisions. But I also tell him all the time, like, if you make a decision, it turns out not to be, you know, the best one or things don't turn out the way they, we'll figure that out too. I'll help you clean it up and we're going to hold our head high. We're going to learn whatever lesson needs to be learned and we're going to move on to the next thing. How do you think your upbringing impacted how you manage your money? I was in high school six years ago, right? So for most of my life, I didn't have money. I didn't have an investment account, checking account, a credit card. So I know what it's like to, to struggle and not have. I remember like when I first started getting checks, um, like being able to go fill my, my, my cars up, right? I would like call my mom, like, mom, how much money is on this debit card? She'd be like, all right, it's $15. You know, that's how much you got. You know, I could fill my tank up so I could get to school and back and don't make any stops, you know, because, you know, that tank had to last me for the week. And so, like, I could just go to the gas station and get gas whenever. Like, I remember when I couldn't do that or going to CVS and buying 10 bottles of soap when we used to have to buy one and, like, this had to kind of last us for a while. Like little things like that, like we kind of laugh at. I was like, I remember those days. I think we just have a different level of appreciation, you know, um, and in some ways it hindered because there's things that are very new to us now, even from like investing or, you know, different levels of assets and never had that. You know, I've never even had an extra $100 a month to put away in the investments or savings. So um, in some ways we had to learn a lot, but um, I think for the most part, just 
we're not that far removed from living check to checks, and he knows what he never wants to go back to, so. Your dad, tell about playing him one-on-one -on -one in eighth grade and how the rules changed after you beat him. Yeah, so my dad was like my trainer, coach, growing up, you know, kind of put the ball in my crib. He played basketball at CBC, went to SLU, played overseas. My dad's tall, 6'6", 230, 240. Um, and it wasn't until eighth grade that I finally ever beat him at one-on-one. And what's that feeling when it happens? It was, it was the best feeling ever because this was the person that introduced me to basketball. Like he has uh, as much to do with anything as why I'm here uh, from a competitive standpoint and, and, and pushing me to be, you know, the best player I could be. Neither one of my parents ever like were like soft or took it easy on me. Like they were extremely like tough on me um, and you know kind of pushed the limit sometimes. But I wouldn't change it because it was what I needed to get to this point. Your best friend Brandon uh, interestingly told me in, in his words that you actually hated having your dad as coach earlier in life. Why? Because it, it kind of put a strain on our relationship. I feel like I missed out on like a father-son relationship. Like me and my dad only ever went to games or practice and to get haircuts. Like we didn't go to amusement parks. We didn't go to picnics or fishing or like really have father-son talks. Because uh, it was just all basketball. He was extremely tough on me. Like cuss me out in front of everybody, you know, um, embarrass me, humiliate me, throw the ball at me, just because he wanted, in his eyes, he wanted me to be the toughest, he wanted me to, to be the best, and that was his way of like, if he made me upset, I would play better. And in a sense, I did, right? I would get so upset, I would get so angry that I would play better. I was told one time uh, you're in the locker room, he pins you up against the locker, holding you up by the underarms, you're crying and he's calling you I was scared of him, and he would like grab me by my shirt and pin me up against the wall and cuss me out in front of everybody, and I would be bawling, like crying, he called me out my name. But then I would come out at halftime and I would outscore the rest of the team and we would win. So in his mind, like he needed to push my buttons to get me to a certain point. As a parent at that time, how would you explain it to him? Um, it was frustrating. We, we didn't see eye to eye a lot on uh, some of the ways that he handled Jason as a coach, but I would just try to tell him, you know, like he's a competitor, you know, he wants to win, he wants you to be the best version of you. And I mean, I'm, I'm hard on him as well, but when, when I do it, we're at home and I'm, you know, but when he does it, it's on the middle of the floor in front of the entire gym. And I felt like he didn't like me as a kid um, because he was so mean to me. Of course he did, but as a kid, I didn't, I couldn't separate coach and dad. Like there was just one. Like he would always tell me I was soft. I wasn't gonna make it. I wasn't gonna be nothing. And he would take it to the extreme. Um, but part of me working out at 5:30 in the morning was because you know I wanted to prove him wrong and things like that. And he was so like tough on me, um, which I appreciate because I wouldn't be here if he wasn't, right? But I do miss that. Like I didn't have that real father-son relationship and looking back on it, it's, it's hard to say like would I have changed it because I'm, my life might be different. So it's like no, 
but it's like there are things I, I missed out on as a kid. And I think there was probably some other things going on, you know, just from things that he was wanting from from Justin. And um, and if you're not getting that, but you're also getting, you know, him yelling or whatever because of the game, because you're not playing defense or you're not hustling. I just don't think it was a good um, situation for him. And so your dad was head coach at CBC. You obviously went to Chaminade. How about uh, the first time you played his team? Sophomore year, um, we played at Chaminade. And I remember running out of the locker room, seeing my dad on the sideline. And I remember it was like, it was one of the weirdest feelings from the standpoint of like the person I looked up to, the person that taught me how to play basketball, the, the man I wanted to like kind of be like is on the opposite sideline trying to stop me. And you actually heard him yelling to, uh, you know, the, the people on his team about like your weaknesses, yeah, he right? He was coaching, like he was trying to, he was trying to stop me. Like, I didn't play well and they beat us. Um, I, I, I just couldn't focus and I couldn't understand or comprehend that like, you know, my dad didn't want me to do well tonight. Well, he was just coaching his team. I didn't like that feeling, but I didn't like losing to him even more. So that was the only time I ever lost to him. I was gonna say there were seven subsequent times yeah, you guys played. There was, that was, I hated losing to him more than the thought of him not wanting me to play well. Uh, so I made it a point to never lose to him again. And I, I never, ever lost him again. Why do you think he wasn't around as much growing up, or why you didn't have a like room at his house? Uh, just because you know he didn't have the best example growing up, right? You know his dad wasn't around. He didn't necessarily know how to be a father. How do you think uh, that has impacted you as a parent? When I was growing up, even when I was a kid, I always saw my friends with their dad um, and how. You know, their relationship was bigger than basketball and uh, bigger than sports and how they were closer. And I always said I wanted to have a kid. Uh, and I was like, if I ever have a son, I'm going to make sure that, like, we are best friends because uh, I wanted what I didn't have, in a sense. want to run through a few basketball folks who've, you know, notable figures or played significant roles in your life. Uh, the first one being Coach K. It's few days after he wins the 2015 national championship, all of a sudden uh, he's at your mom's house. Uh, how did you go about telling him that you were coming? Having Coach K at my house was, I couldn't believe it. Like Coach K came to U-City, like he came to my house, like this little ass house. And John Shire and Coach Caper was there. Uh, and it was right after they won and I was extremely quiet I'm quiet now, I was really quiet back then, especially around people I didn't really know. And it's Coach K. And it's, yeah, I was yeah. intimidated. Right. Uh, and like when I took my visit to Duke, I knew I wanted to go there. Uh, and I remember when he came, they, you know, talked about how, you know, they wanted me to come to Duke and the plans that they had for me. Uh, and the meeting, it was like, it was about to be over. They were putting their jackets on, about to leave. And I remember I told my, my mom and dad, I was like, mom, when they come, I'm gonna tell them. The whole time I was sitting there sweating, like, all right, I wanna say it, I wanna say it. But I was so like nervous. And I remember my dad, he, um, Coach K stood up. He was like, coach, before you leave, I think 
Lil J want to say something. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, um, I was like, coach, I want to come to Duke. He was like, holy And he was like, are you serious? I was like, yeah, I want to come to Duke. And then they sat back down and we all like hugged each other and they, they stayed for like another two hours. That was like one of the, you know, cooler days that, you know, of my life. All right, so what's the situation where he calls you a soft ass St. Louis kid? We were- um, he, he could be a yeller. Oh yeah. I love Coach K, but uh, he cusses a lot, for sure. Uh, we played at Virginia, ACC game. I wasn't shooting, but I was like making the right play. We were winning, so I come in the locker room. I'm upbeat. Like, I don't care I got two points. Like, we winning. I'm shaking everybody. I'm like, yo, let's, like, let's keep going. Let's keep going. So in college, you know, the players sit down first. Then the coach come in. He wait till we all sitting down. And I remember he came in. He just took his jacket off, and he threw it at me. He threw it right at me. He's like, you soft-ass St. Louis kid. He was like, I should have left you in St. Louis if you was going to play like this. You should have never came to Duke, like, just going in on me. I'm like, damn. I, like, he just, I started getting mad. And, like, I, like, balled my fist up. But he didn't talk about the game, the, the plan to go in the second half. He just cussed me out for, like, seven minutes, and he left. And everybody was like, Jay, you are, you going to be good. And I was pissed. But then I scored like 28 points in the second half, and we ended up winning. After the game, he was like, do I got to cuss you out every halftime? I was like, Coach, uh, don't do that anymore. Um, all right, so it's, uh, I guess, a loss against NC State. Coach isn't at the game because he has uh, back surgery, so he summons you guys over to his house. This is probably the worst loss I had at Duke because North Carolina State hasn't beat us at Duke in 25 years and we get a text from the manager he like be at coach k house in 30 minutes so i'm like oh so we get there it's late it's got to be midnight after the game and we get to his house and there's like three rows of chairs so we all sit down and he sit at the front and he literally one by one he cusses everybody out he tell each player you know why they basically like not just one by one telling me, he was like, he was like, I can't wait for you to get drafted. He was like, he said, you so full of yourself, all you care about is getting drafted, you don't care about this thing. Like just one by one, just going through everybody. And we leave and we get a text from the manager, like be at the locker room at 5.30 in the morning. And we get to the locker room um, and there's trash bags in front of everybody's locker. We had to clear, everybody had to clear their locker out. Take everything out your locker. Basically, like, we didn't deserve to wear any Duke gear for, like, three days. And we had to practice in white T-shirts and, like, regular navy blue shorts. Um, and they changed the locker room code on us. We couldn't use our own locker. We had to shower. Like, we had to go to practice and leave and shower at our dorm. Um, but that lasted for, like, three days. We won the next game, and then we was good. I know you guys still keep in touch. Uh, why is that relationship important to you? That was the best decision in my life. Like going to Duke from a resource standpoint, from a learning standpoint, uh, playing for Coach K, being a part of Duke Brotherhood, uh, and just how much he, he, he taught me, right? He, he really pushed me, and that's what I appreciated. He saw the potential that I had, 
And every single day, he never took it easy on me. Um, and it was what I needed. Um, and the thing I appreciate more is it wasn't just about my time at Duke, right? We still talk all the time. And that was a big reason why I wanted to go there. You know, I, I didn't want to just go somewhere for a year and, and leave. I wanted to be a part of something. Michael Jordan, tell about running into MJ in Paris. I signed with Jordan Brand in 2019. So we went to uh, Paris to kind of do the announcement. This really was like my first time meeting him. We talking, we taking pictures. I am extremely nervous, right? It's Michael Jordan. Extremely nervous. But I, I spend all day with him. And then at nighttime, we have a, a Jordan brand dinner. Michael Jordan, Spike Lee, Mello, Westbrook, Blake Griffin, Maya Moore, like all these Jordan brand athletes. So mind you, I spend all day with Michael Jordan. And when I left, I go to get changed for dinner. I come back and I see him again. It's like the first time I've seen him. And I'm shaking. And he's sitting down, him, his wife, and Spike Lee. So I'm like, should I go sit down at my table or should I speak first and then go sit down? I'm like, no, I'm gonna go speak. And I'm, I'm shaking, I'm gonna go shake his hand. And I knock over his wine glass and it broke and it spilled all over the table. And I was just like, oh my God. And I was trying to clean up. And he was like, he was like, you good. He was like, just relax, it's all right. And I was like, thank you. And I was like, I was like, dad, he never gonna talk to me again. But, you know, we, we keep in touch. He texts me from time to time. Um, but that's just a story I always remember. Tell about your girl, Kelsey, at the Jordan brand. Kelsey? Yeah. Kelsey is, she is the best. She is behind all my, PEs, um, player edition shoes, all the colorways, right? You know, we talk all the time. I can text her at two, three in the morning. And I really appreciate that. You know, somebody that's, you know, working on my shoe um, and, you know, trying to make it the best shoe out there. Because, um, you know, I want to be invested as, as much as they are. You know, I got to wear it. Give me examples of like ways in which you're involved in that process. A lot of guys, you know, they just make colors for them and, you know, they'll wear them. But me, I like to see my ideas come to life. Like, I don't mind sitting on an hour and a half, two hour Zoom call and coming up with 40 ideas and we only use 20 of them. Like, I'm fine with that, but I like to be a part of the creative part. Because um, seeing things come to life is, is special. This is one of those moments as a kid you only could dream about, you know. Everybody wants to make it to the NBA, but I wanted to be the first number overall pick. I wanted to be an all-star, all-NBA, MVP, have my own signature shoe. I'm living out my dreams in real time. And that is a, a feeling that is like undescribable. And do you have a, a pair that like you can't wear yet, but that yeah, I got a pair at the house. How cool is that? It's the best feeling ever. And it's like, I'm holding on to this big secret that I just want to show the world, but it's like, I got to wait. Why did you always tell your mom you wanted to be like Kobe? It was just something about him. You know, from the first time I saw him play, watched him on TV, you know, I just fell in love with, with him and his game. Um, the way he moved and you know, the things that he did on the court. It was like art to me, you know, like he played basketball different than everybody else. Um, and I could tell that and I was like, that's who I want to be like. How did 
did resonate with you, him talking about putting all his eggs in one basket? I felt like he was talking to me when he said that because there was no other option. You know, there's nothing else I wanted to do in life. Like, you know, everybody talked about having a backup plan. Like, it never made sense to me because it's like, why would I have a backup plan? Because I'm gonna make this work. If you got backup plan and you're not putting all your time and energy on what you want to accomplish. So if you're not putting all your focus on that one thing, how can you expect to be successful? What would you study about him? His footwork, right? That's what made him, that was, that's what separated him from everyone else. And you gotta be a little crazy to be as good as he was. And like, I, I remember him talking about like, he may not have been the best friend or the best cousin or brother because he was always in the gym working out. And so you have to be okay with sacrificing things like that. And everybody isn't. His then ESPN show, Detail, comes out when you're playing the Cavs in the conference finals mm -hmm. and a segment's done on you. How does that affect you? It was, uh, it was after game one. So we had practice. And I come to my locker and I got all these text messages and alerts on my phone. And I remember I sat there and I was kind of like, I didn't open it at first. Cause I was like, I was nervous, right? Cause I'm like, damn, Kobe know who I am? Like things like that. Kobe could have said anything about me and I would have been like ecstatic just because he was speaking about me like that. The person that I grew up idolizing knows who I am. I'm from St. Louis and Kobe knows who I am. It was, it was like, that's not normal. But I remember sitting there for like, I could have watched it 15 times probably because I was just in shock. I couldn't believe it. And then I had a text message from him. He was like, hey, what's up? This is Kobe. You know, he said something like rooting for you, you know, keep up the good work when you were in, in the summertime, when you were in LA, reach out, we can get in the gym. And I was just like, I was like, somebody gotta be with me. Like, this can't be real. Um, you know, life just comes full circle. When do you decide to text him and take me from the point of in the car driving to the gym onwards? The first time I went to LA, I text him as soon as the wheels touched the ground. <laughs> so I went to his office and I met with him like twice. And I remember sitting there, his assistant was like, he'll be up there shortly. And I remember like sitting on my hands cause my hands were so wet. I was like, damn, he about to come up here. And I remember I shook his hand and my hands were still wet. And I was just like, he probably thinking like, damn, why is his hands wet? Um, <laughs> but he just, we talked for a long time and he walked, walked me around. We talked about the season, things I want to work on. And then we worked out uh, one time in LA. And uh, that was top three best days of my life. Really? Easily. What about it made it that way? From the standpoint of the person that made me fall in love with basketball, that I grew up idolizing, wanting to be just like, now I'm in a gym with him and he's trying to help me out. It's like, how did I get here? It was like, it just gave me chills. How did you find out about his death? I was in New Orleans. It was a three game, seven day trip. So I still went on a trip to rehab and get ready, but I didn't play. I never forget, we walked to Popeye's cause it was five minutes from the hotel. And we, uh, we grab our food and we sit down and my phone just started blowing up. And I looked and somebody was like, Kobe passed away. 
question mark. And then I look, I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm like that. Kobe passed. And he was like, Kobe Bryant? So then I looked on Twitter. I'm like, no, they got to be joking. And the, I remember they had uh, the news on in Popeyes. And it was like breaking news. You know, Kobe Bryant's passed and the helicopter crashed. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't know how to feel because it didn't seem real because in my mind, he was a superhero. Right. So in my mind, Kobe was invincible. I was like, wait, like, I literally was like, Kobe can't die. Like, that's just, I couldn't, it didn't register. And I remember I got back, we walked back to, uh, to the hotel and I was just like in shock. And I go back to the room and I turn CNN on and you know, there it was. I sat in the bathroom, I just broke down. I couldn't believe it. How did you handle it in the days that followed? Uh, it was tough. I remember I, we had a game that day and they still played. And I remember I sat in the locker room um, during the game. I, I couldn't even watch the game because uh, I was just like, I was up. What do you think his legacy is? How he inspired people. And I think that's what everybody aims to do, right? Everybody can accomplish things, but did you impact people? Did you inspire the world? And I think he did. Everybody in the world was inspired. People have obviously compared you to Kevin Durant b before. What, if anything, did you learn from him in Tokyo? Yeah, uh, that was a great experience. You know, part of going with the USA team is being around these guys, um, getting to know them, learning from them. You know, because we compete against each other all season. So to be teammates um, and just have that relationship is part of why, you know, I chose to go to the Olympics. And obviously, you know, you know Kevin Durant is one of the best players ever. Somebody that I went to his elite camps when I was in high school, somebody I really looked up to. And now we're on the same team. You know, I pay attention to guys' routines and their plan of attack every day. You know, how they get ready, what they do before practice, what do they do after practice, what do they do for recovery. Because, um, you know, I, I can always steal little things from, from guys. And that's something I really paid attention to him. Um, you know, and how kind of hard he works. You can see, like, you know, why he is as good as he is. What would your reaction be if you found out he was going to be joining your team? It would be good. And then it's tough because regardless of who you get on your team, anytime you lose a teammate, it's tough. So it's like, you know, you're losing a friend. And you understand it's the business of basketball. Um, so anytime you, you know, have to acquire somebody, somebody has to leave. and. Sometimes it's hard to distinguish between the, the business end and kind of the, yeah, the and, personal know, end. Two things can be true at the same time. You can get better, but you know, you would don't want to lose teammates. You don't want to lose friends, guys that, you know, I've been going to war with for five years. I wanted to ask you too, just your thoughts on these super teams in general and if there's somebody that you want to play with long term. I would love to play with Brad Beal. Like I like the idea of it. I know it's a lot of technical things and things that probably don't make sense and you know you can't make happen do with money and things like that but yeah what I love to play with Brad Bill or LeBron or Steph Curry like these are guys I looked up to so but that's part of like that's why you make the all-star game like being on the same team with 
Embiid and, and LeBron and Anthony Davis and James Harden, you know, you kind of get that, that fix during All-Star Weekend. The NBA Finals. I want to read a quote from the Boston Globe. Um, they wrote, the Celtics' young superstar flopped on the NBA's biggest stage. His failure to launch and deliver when it mattered most was a cruel ending to a breakthrough season for the forward. Uh, your thoughts? My mom always told me that, would you rather be the guy that they never talk about or you know, they always talk about whether you do something good or bad? Uh, and I would much rather be the person that they always talk about. What gets to me is the people who have never done what he's done, have never done it on his level. Like you were never the person, the focus of defense on it. And you're supposed to know basketball, but then you, you know, you don't point out that he's getting triple teamed every night. And it takes a toll on your body. Like, you know, he's only human. I averaged 22.7 rebounds and seven assists. For anybody else, that would have been you know, a hell of a series. But, you know, I don't, I'm not anybody else. I don't want to be anybody else. You know, I hold my, myself to the highest standard. When I don't play well and they say I flopped or whatever, uh, it doesn't bother me from, because, you know, I don't, that's not why I play the game. People that I don't know writing articles about me, good or bad, doesn't bother me because it's like, I don't, I don't know you. Like, I don't, value your opinion, you know. It was really hard to watch knowing the pain he played through for f the entire playoffs and even before. Like his wrist had been bothering him. And um, just to not have people appreciate, you know, what, I mean, we don't get to the finals without Jason Tatum. My mom think I'm the best player ever and so does my grandma. Um, and Deuce, I'm his favorite person in the world. Um, you know, that's what's really important. So, you know, do I have to be better in that situation? 100%, and will I be better? Yeah, um, but like, truly, things like that don't, don't bother me. What's the feeling when you're watching Steph on your home court at Crown Champion? Now, that was tough. Um, and the toughest part was leaving the arena and walking out the locker room and seeing their families and smelling the champagne and cigar smoke. That was the toughest part. Because um, getting to the finals is hard. It is extremely hard. And getting there and losing is the worst feeling ever. Also great motivation. Yeah, just because it's like, it's never a guarantee you're gonna get back. So you wanna maximize that, that, that moment. And when you don't, uh, it's tough. It's, it's a hard pill to swallow. What's the process entail for just getting over that? After the finals, like four days later, I went out the country with my son and my family for Father's Day weekend, right? It was a long season and I needed time to relax, you know, with people I really care about. Take some time away, um, you know, get, make sure my body is right and get healthy. And then when season comes back around, to start getting ready for the season. Um, and I, I know what I need to change. What do you learn from the experience? You, you learn how how hard it is to get there, the things that you may need to do in season to prepare to get to that point. Because going to the finals is another two, two and a half months of the season. <laughs> so mentally and physically, that can be exhausting because the playoffs is night in and night out of the highest level of basketball. So there's no easy nights. 
it only gets harder after each round. There's things you need to do in November to prepare for June. Um, and there's just certain things I would probably do a little differently um, to get to that point. You just turned 19, your high school girlfriend tells you she's pregnant. Um, what's your reaction? I like got sick to my stomach. Because um, this was a week or two before school was ending. So in my mind, I'm like, I'm about to leave Duke, get ready for the draft, live my life, like have a blast. And then it's like, you know, you about to have a kid. I was selfish at first, honestly. Like I was more worried about getting drafted than I was about being a dad. Um, because my whole life I dreamed about going to NBA and the best day of my life was two months away. I didn't tell anybody, like, I didn't tell my teammates, the coaches, anything. And you were really concerned uh, about that at first, right? Like sharing that with anybody you worked with? I didn't want it to impact where I got drafted. I thought that if teams knew I was about to have a kid, they were gonna think I wasn't focused and that they wouldn't pick me. So I was terrified. I didn't want anybody to know, um, which was extremely selfish. So I remember I told Brad Stevens, like, <laughs> I remember we were on a plane and, uh, one of the trainers knew, and he was like, have you told Brad yet? I was like, no, why I need to tell Brad? Because I'm like, I don't really know these people yet. Like, why would I tell them this private information? He was like, well, isn't she due like next week? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> He's like, you might miss a game. I'm like, oh, shit. So I go in the back of the plane. I'm like, Brad, I don't know how to say this, but I might miss a game next week. He was like, what's wrong? I was like, uh, I'm expecting the child. He was like, oh, really? And I was like, yeah, um, she lives in Boston. She's due next week, so I just wanted to tell you. He was real supportive. What did your mom say on that 3 a.m. call you guys had when you first told her? I was like, Maya, you by yourself? She like, I'm with Jake. He's asleep. I'm like, I got to tell you something. And I was like, uh, you know, she's pregnant. And my whole life, my mom had me at 19, so she didn't want me to have a kid at 19. She knew how hard it was. And her mom had her young. Yeah. yeah. I thought it had something to do with basketball or maybe a girl, but I didn't expect that. At that moment, I remembered how terrified I was when I had to go through that and how I felt like I was going to disappoint my mom. And so I just told him, listen, for most people, it's the money, right? Like you can't afford to have a kid, you know? And I was like, you clearly don't have that problem. And I was like, and I got your back in everything you do, and so we'll figure it out. She could tell how nervous I was and how like scared I was in that moment. I remember she was like, it's gonna be all right. We'll figure it out, just get some sleep. And that made me feel at ease. He changed your life how? He made me grow up faster and mature. Cause with all this newfound, you know, fame and success and money at 19, that's a lot to handle. But I wouldn't change it for the world. It motivates me seeing him come to all the games, practice, watch me work out. You know, he motivates me to be the best player, the best father, the best role model that I could be. I think it's grounded him. I think it's given him perspective. Um, even something as like gut-wrenching as the finals and how when he came home, Deuce thinks he's the best thing that God ever created. So he's like, Daddy, you want tacos? He could care less. And I think that helps him like put things in perspective, you know, at the end of the day, he plays a game for a living. 
and Deuce is far more important. When he came out and I held him for the first time, instantly my whole perspective changed and I was just like, oh, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters but taking care of him. Like I just knew then he was gonna be the, the doting father that he is and they're like, they're a lot alike. Um, and neither one of them show me any attention when the other one's around, so. Really? <laughs> but I mean, Deuce will wait up till two in the morning if he can, and he will sit and look out the door waiting on Jason to pull up home after a game. I'm just blessed to be able to watch it. Thanks for listening to my chat with Jason Tatum to see the great work his foundation's doing, plus our trip to Boston to hang out with his son Deuce. Go to youtube.com slash Graham Bensinger. As always, before you go, please leave us a rating and review. Thanks again for listening.